Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm R.A. McGee. As always, I have the best panel on the planet waiting in the wings to talk about all things author. So without further ado, let's introduce them. I'd like to start with a man who is not currently in the middle of a move, and that would be uh, Mr. Jim Heskett. Hello. Welcome, everyone. I have some feel like I have some really good insights prepared this week, and I feel really good about my chances to win this episode. Good deal. Good deal. We will definitely let you know if you want or not after the show. I have that ready for you. Next up, we have a woman who is not currently in the middle of a move. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Philippa Philippa (laughs) Warner. Hello. Hello. I'm apparently going to have to shank Jim in order to win this week. We'll Um, see. Now we know. (laughs) No holds barred this episode. (laughs) And last but not least, the member of the team who is currently in the middle of yet another move because he is the international man of mystery, or maybe national man of mystery, I guess, because that's a state, but whatever. Mr. Nick Thacker. The unshankable Nick Thacker, I might add. <laughs> because is that you- why you keep moving? Yeah. So that we can't find <laughs> you? Because you're an ocean away. That's why you can't be shamed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I have something very exciting, very exciting to tell you. Okay. Our little podcast is on its 18th episode. We are all grown up, guys. We are all grown up. (laughs) So our majority. That's right. So if there does need to be some fighting or some stabbing or some adult content, I think that's okay now because, you know, we've matured. We've matured. Our podcast can go to war. It can. It can can fight for its country. But it can't can't drink yet. But it can go to war. (laughs) Never understood that. So bizarre. So bizarre. So in any event, I think we should hop into the stories, and I think the special treat this week is Mr. Jim Heskett giving us our news break. Jim, hit it. Okay, here we go. Actually, sounds pretty good, and it was definitely more synced up than mine. Yeah, it was on time. And I know Nick is not going to take that out and replace it with the real one. I know he's leaving that in. No, no, no. I'm definitely leaving that in. We'll see what the Fiverr guy who edits these does, (laughs) but I'm not going to make any promises. (laughs) All right, guys. So our first story is about a friendly name in the author and marketing world, Brian Cohen. Brian Cohen, for anyone who doesn't know, runs Best Page Forward, which is a copywriting service, and he also periodically hosts advertising I don't know what you would call it. Like, I want to say sprint, but it's not a sprint, like the an advertising. Challenge. Yeah, 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 challenge. That's ad it. Ad, yeah, yeah the advertising challenge. And Amazon advertising decided to feature him and his ad challenges. And so it says, you know, how a KDP author helps other writers increase their book sales. So we'll post a link to this in the show notes. And, uh, you know, it's about Brian and his ad challenges, which are still free, I believe, when you get involved with them. You guys, if you read through this, anything kind of catch your eye about his process or anything that Amazon's talking about? Well, I think what people are attracted to Brian Cohen's ad challenges is there's a quote here at the end where it says, advertising can be scary, Cohen says, but when you focus only on the essential numbers like royalties and ad spend, it becomes a whole lot simpler. And that's Brian's main hook 
into his ad services is that he simplifies everything. And, you know, because ads are pretty scary. Amazon advertising is a lot easier than Facebook, but it's still pretty intimidating. And so the challenge is he just gets thousands of people to get together and uses a lot of positive peer pressure to make everyone at least create their first ads. Good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else interesting in there for you guys? Yeah. So th- there's all these different approaches of, of doing ads. And if anyone's listening to this, trying to you know get into the game, I know a thing or two about running ads on Amazon and some other platforms. And I'm not going to say that Brian's system doesn't work because it does. But you have to keep in mind that it's very difficult. So his approach is sort of the scattershot, make a ton of ads, and some of them are going to work. And some of them are not going to work. And that's just the way it is. And that is a strategy. And people have found success with that strategy. That The challenge is when you try to go to scale, you either have to continue making more and more and more ads and hoping that they continue to work and some of them continue to not work, you know, like they have. But you also have a very difficult time drilling down into the ones that are working and scaling just those or why the ones that worked, worked, if that makes sense. And so it's not a very efficient process once you get to spending a little bit more money per day. I love Brian. I know him personally. He's a great guy. And his challenge is a great way to kind of get your feet wet with it. But to me, this is a basic entry level, you know, kind of learn the ropes of advertising, which could be very beneficial for authors. But if you're down the road a little bit, it may not be what you want it to be. And one thing I'd say about this article, which it was clearly done on purpose, but within 18 months, we went from 200 a month to over 11,000 a month in royalties. And the number one thing growing our readership was Amazon advertising. Okay, does that mean net or does that mean gross? Mm. And Mm. while I'm all for raising the profile of my books, I actually do have a limited amount of time. And so I would like to know, is this like we put $1,000 a month in now and we're making 10 grand profit compared to our $200? Mm. Or is it, you know, 50-50? How many ads am I running? How much time is sinking into this? Because often, especially with, I think, romance, you'll hear people talking in insane numbers. You know, I brought in 120 grand in royalties last month and I spent 110 in advertising. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work to be on a, on a treadmill, basically. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I get so. it. Yeah. Well, so I think it's an interesting article. If you are a little earlier on in your ad journey, maybe uh, hop on Brian's Facebook. There's a Facebook group for it and uh, sign up. Maybe you can get your feet wet and kind of learn the ropes of ads and then decide what you want to do to iterate them, you know, as you go along. So yeah, good times, good times coming from Brian Cohen and good for him for getting that shining spot from Amazon about the advertising. So, all right, moving on to the second story. You guys are going to have to explain this to me because you know how I feel about technology. This is coming from The Verge, and it is podcasts start coming to Facebook next week. Uh, It says, little blurb here says, your podcast can all be on one page starting June 22nd, which we're actually time travelers, and we are somehow past June 22nd, but this is starting on June 22nd. Facebook will be the place where people can enjoy, discuss, and share the podcast they love with each other. To help them find your work, you can add a new tab to your page that will feature your podcast. So what exactly is this? It doesn't seem like the same thing that Apple was talking about or uh, who was starting podcasts for pay. Apple, remember when they were doing like the pay podcast thing? doesn't seem like that. What exactly is this about, Jim? I think you know. Well, Facebook is just going to allow some pages. It's not clear if this is going to be open to every page or only some pages, because I know it just launched a couple of days ago and it's only open to certain pages, but you can add your podcast's RSS feed, which means Facebook is 
just allowing people to include an RSS feed. So it'll pull your episodes, your episode description, your episode image. So it's in Facebook. Why they're doing this, I don't really know. Like maybe they're trying to go after that demographic of people who listen to podcasts on YouTube. You know, because you can upload podcasts to YouTube by just throwing one image for your whole video. You know, there's tons of podcasts on YouTube where it's just a video of a still image the whole time. And I guess that's what this is going to be. Listening to podcasts on Facebook will just be the cover art there. I don't know. But the thing that is kind of cool about this is that you can't allow your episodes to be open for people to create one minute clips mm. to share around, which, you know, could be some nice free marketing for your show. But from the creator side, if all you have to do is add your RSS feed, it seems pretty simple to set up. Mm. But then, I don't know if Facebook then uh, it has stuff hidden in their terms that they can then get rich off your podcast. Probably. Mm. Oh, Zuck. Zucky, Zucky, Always. Zuck. Zuck, Zuck, Zuck. All right. Well, that's interesting. You guys got... <laughs> you got I've seen the social network. I know how this goes. You know? You guys got... Anything else you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what, what Jim said. It remains to be seen how Facebook is going to use it. But as far as simplicity goes, it just seems like Facebook is trying to get into any game that potentially takes online people away from the Facebook platform. So this kind of goes hand in hand with their push into, it talks about in the article, legitimate push into audio. Like they're literally targeting Clubhouse with this audio only rooms and things like that. And they've been doing, you know, beta tests of those. And so it's just, it's funny. It's like anything that gets, starts to get any attention or popularity online, Facebook's like, well, we can do that too. And then they do it. And it's sort of an Amazon kind of approach where they'll just, they'll try something and they'll, they'll put it out there and they'll see if it sticks. And if, if not, it'll just kind of fade away into non-existence and then they'll just claim it never happened. So I'm wondering, you know, if that's going to happen with this, if people already know, I mean, I can share my podcast episodes on Facebook just fine. I don't necessarily need this, but it does make it a little easier. So we will see what happens if people actually want to sit on Facebook and watch or listen to uh, podcasts. Who knows? Mm. Okay. That's a good question. I guess we'll have to see if we see any love from adding some RSS feeds all around. So this is a topic that I kind of want to spend a little bit of time on uh, because I think there's a few things to parse through here. This is from Written Word Media. We've talked about them a few times. They do paid promotions and free promotions, free booksy and bargain booksy. And uh, they have, a, a, I guess, a survey that they did, and it's called, What Do Readers Really Want? How to Write a Book to Market. And now, I think that if you're one of our listeners who is maybe not as uh, well-versed in this whole process, some of these things might be applicable to you, right? So we'll go through these and kind of just get your guys' take on it. Now, the first question was, do readers prefer books in a series or standalone books? Now, I feel like the conventional wisdom is that people prefer series and that they're easier to market for writers. And it looks like, you know, the survey seems to indicate 50, what is that, 50%, 60%, 60% of readers say that they have no preference. Do you guys, is that strange to you? Do you think that's right? Mm -hmm. No, I, I I'd say this absolutely falls into the cliffhanger trap of all readers polled say they do not like cliffhangers. All readers buying books indicate that they strongly enjoy cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, yeah, that's a great point. I don't know what readers they're asking, but they're not asking the kind of people who buy my books. <laughs> you know, that's not 60% prefer standalones or have no preference. That's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. That's Those aren't the whale readers. Those aren't the kind of people we're going for. These are just generic people who read one or two books a year. 
quote unquote readers, the people who read, you know, just whatever <laughs> the main quote. <laughs> <laughs> people who are read. <laughs> technically readers. Well, I'm making lots of air quotes. You can't see because it's a podcast. They read a Berenstain Bears book a couple of days ago. <laughs> Well, aside from that kind of being antithetical to what we've all kind of heard, I think it, the weirdest thing is the third place vote was I prefer books in a series. Well, actually, what Jim said brought up an interesting point, which is that they're saying what they prefer, but that's not necessarily what they buy. Hmm. And, like, And that's actually even a slightly different point than I had brought up earlier, which is that I feel like readers might say, oh, this is someone I know, or this is a book in my genre, it has a cool cover, it's a standalone book, it's a new series from what I know. But if it's from a series that they've already read, they already know the characters, they already know the author, I feel like they are much more likely to buy it, to just drop a few bucks because, oh, I'll get to it at some point. And and asking what they prefer to read is kind of like, oh, well, do you like high literature? Well, of course I like high literature. I like the version of myself that likes high literature. <laughs> and like, <laughs> But he's hard to get in touch with. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't seem to read very much. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I, I've said it before, like surveys are really, really challenging. There's a reason there's a whole industry and in science around surveying. And it's very, and I don't mean like, you know, land surveying, but like running surveys and getting information from population. Like I'd, I'd like to see who they asked, you know, um, or just whoever happened to come across a website called written word media. <laughs> like it's going to be a particular kind of person who's going to see this survey in the first place. So it's just really challenging to get, you know, unbiased data in any way um, and, you know, any side of it. And so there's that part of it. But the other part is like, for me as a writer, I know for a fact that the books that sell better for me are books in a series. However, I don't know if I've sort of written my own future by writing books and series and selling those because they sell better um, or I thought they would sell better. And so now I've got a readership that reads all of my books in, stand, in, uh, in series, but I may be precluding a bunch of readers who are out there clamoring for more standalone books from me. You know what I mean? So we're sort of, maybe we're writing our own destinies here with it. We've heard and parroted, well, books and series sell better. And that may actually be true, but we might be shooting ourselves in the foot by not writing anything standalone and missing out on who knows? A bunch of people who would stand alone and prefer those. There's just no way to know, right? We can't be both. We can't do, do both things at the same time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Training your readership, I guess, so to speak. Okay, so the next thing that they asked, and this is, you know, I don't know. This is kind of interesting. It's, uh, you know, what makes readers put down a book? And they said that they asked, we asked readers what makes them stop reading a book, and the results were informative. We asked this as an open-ended question so as not to bias the poll. The most common theme among responses was the word boring. Readers want a plot and characters to keep them engaged. Uh, so is that, you think, the thing that makes people put down a book more? Like, is that the common factor where people go, ah, I'm over this? Or is it some other combination of bad editing, bad writing, bad plot, bad characters? Like, what do you think is the linchpin for people putting down a book in y'all's experience? I think it is. I mean, I think it's boring. It's just the problem is uh, the reader doesn't really know the correct terminology or the reason why something comes across as boring. That's our job as the writer to know. So it's like, most likely... It, with the kind of books that I write, my guess would be that my books would come across boring if the structure isn't there, if it doesn't have enough like roller coaster ups and downs, and you know it's too back heavy with action instead of you know up front is all a bunch of dialogue. I don't know. So I'm just trying to you know there's all these reasons. So the reader might just say it's boring. 
what they might actually mean from a writing standpoint is like, well, you know, the book starts really slow and it takes forever to have some action. It takes forever to get into the, into the thick of things, you know? So I think it's, it's challenging. I think boring is probably the correct answer, but it's really just a blanket statement that actually means we need to dig in and figure out why it's boring. Okay. I think so. What do you think, Jim? Got anything to add to that? Uh, no, I totally agree with Nick that, yeah, it just depends on how you get to boring. I think most often you get to boring because there's characters that you don't care about. I think that's probably the most, because it doesn't matter how exciting your car chases are or how intense your fight between the lovers in the rain is. If the reader doesn't care about the character, it doesn't matter. You know, like I always reference Looking for Alaska by John Green. Because the, the content of the, the plot of that book is pretty boring. Not much happens in the whole book. But in chapter one, he really hooked me with the main character. Like I just totally fell in love with the main character in chapter one. So I was on board for whatever happened after that because I was so hooked. See and, all John Grisham books. <laughs> John Green. That's what I said. No, I know. I'm saying John Grisham. I feel the same way about it. Like I read the John Grisham book, started it going, this seems like a really boring plot. And then I like all of a sudden finished it. And I was like, wow, I read that whole thing. Mm. <laughs> Nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) All right, right on. So the next thing, and this is something that I think that in particular, Nick Thacker can answer well for us. All right. And it is, (laughs) do readers want to interact with authors? (laughs) When we ask readers if they would want to interact with the (laughs) author of the book, they are reading the responses fell into relatively even groups. The most common answer from the readers was not sure at 37%. Close to that was yes, and 27% said they wanted no interaction with the authors. Nick, that 27%, that's your people, isn't it? (laughs) I had to find the mute button. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the the readers that I have, I lovingly refer to... No, I'm just kidding. Um... (laughs) You know, it's tricky, man. I I don't even know how to answer this, to be honest with you. <laughs> I do like interaction with my readers. I think they like interaction from me. I think there is this idea of a conversation, but I'm also like more than happy to fire some readers if they cross the boundary that I put up between what I think is appropriate and not. I have a ton of people who on my list just have this expectation that every single word ever written should be completely free. And I should then spoon feed it into their brains so that they don't have to lift a finger to do anything to themselves. And that, that frankly pisses me off. And so I'm more than, I've got plenty of other readers and I'm more than happy to pass on them and give them to Jim and go read his shit instead. Uh, I like because I'm, I don't have time for that crap. I don't have time for that crap. I didn't get into this to do customer support. I didn't get into this to do customer service. I love readers and I love fans and I love people who want to read my stuff. But damn it, if you're not going to like even lift a finger and you're just going to have some entitled elitist mentality that I deserve to give you my shit for free and tell you how to do it, I don't have time for that. Get out of here. Does that answer your question? Yes. <laughs> I might think was, 20% was, sounds a little low, to be honest. Was, I'd say yeah. it's probably more like 50 or 60%. Uh, it was all I could have dreamed of, man. It was all I could have dreamed of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, pitched to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, softball. Now let's have Jim and, and, and Pippa uh, fix that for Please. Uh, let's go with Pippa. Pippa, how much... How much interaction do you have with readers and how much interaction do you want with an author as a reader? As a reader, I'm not actually sure as a reader. I love interacting on Twitter with some authors whose work I love. Interestingly, I 
am not as interested in the stuff that my readers seem to be asking for in terms of interaction that would be like behind the scenes looks into why and how certain scenes were written, things like that. But those are the requests I tend to get. You know, we'd love to hear more about so you're, so you're saying that what your readers ask you for is not what you're not interested what I, yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, ways. I am fine giving that to them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's okay to me. But oddly, that's not what I tend to look for from authors. I like blog articles. I like interacting with them on Twitter. And that's pretty much it. Hmm. So. Okay. Right on. I think maybe that's- I spend enough time in the background of my own books that I don't really feel the need to spend the time in the background of theirs yeah you're like it's messy back there like i'll just take you at your word in the nice clean up front zone uh jim what about you man i know you have a different take on things than our compadre nick i I am the he does have an incorrect take on it that's right you can agree with me or you can be wrong it's your choice (laughs) i like interacting with my readers i mean how else would you find out who your ideal reader is if you don't get out there and and meet your readers you know it's like my ideal reader is me i don't need to know anybody else (laughs) okay thank you nick your turn is over now you need to be quiet i'm talking Damn it. I'm looking for the mute button, but we don't I don't have it on my side. Nope. You don't get to control me. <laughs> I like to I like to do stuff like uh, you know, if I'm sending an email that's not that's not really salesy, I like to end it with a question to try to get email replies. Because I want readers to think I'm personable. Also, I think it helps with open rates. You know, people reply, it helps you get on their whitelist, so that's good. I like to spend time on Facebook talking to my readers. I I have, you know, a small crew of a few dozen who mostly make up my arc team are the ones that I mostly talk to and get feedback from. And those are the ones who, you know, that I talk to with each book before each book to talk to them about how it's going. They're my street team. So I'd like to keep those people happy. But I think interacting with your readers is a great way to find out uh, who your ideal reader is. And that's something that's pretty important for an author to do, I think. Hmm. Right on. Right on. Okay. So next question we got here, which I think is not really a surprise, but I am a little surprised at the disparity of this question. So it says, which social media platforms do readers use? And so it's just asking, uh, the most popular platform among readers surveyed is Facebook. And like the article says, it's not even close. It's like 70% of readers prefer Facebook over other social media sites, including Instagram, Goodreads, Pinterest, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, did you guys think it was that big of a difference? Uh, not surprised. Huh. Yeah, I'm not actually surprised. And one of the reasons is every time I start to get more into, I have authors being like, you should be on Instagram, you should be on TikTok, you should be on Goodreads. And every time I go there, I mostly find that it's authors boosting other authors, and I can't find much reader engagement. <laughs> so, mm. But Facebook, I consistently get comments, I get you know messages, I get so... Mm. As much as I hate Facebook, it feels like Facebook is sort of the quote unquote main social media platform because it kind of does everything or it, it has a way to do everything that all these other ones do. Like you want to share video, you want to share, you know, podcast now, right? Um, you want to share just content, you want to share whatever. It, it, there's a way to do it on Facebook where the other ones are a little more focused, right? Instagram is really visual. It's really about um, mostly images. Of course, you can do video there a little bit. Goodreads, obviously, is about sharing books. It's very specific to that market. So it just kind of feels like Facebook is sort of the main one. And then if people want to get... If they really hate themselves, they go to some place like Twitter and get in arguments like, you know, Pippa. If they really want to feel young again, they go to TikTok, you know, and play around with with that crap. Or if they want to feel deeply old, they go to TikTok. Or if they want to feel deeply old, yeah. (laughs) 
So, I, but you know, Facebook feels like the main one. The other ones just sort of seem like, well, I'm not getting enough out of Facebook. Let me go niche down into Instagram or Goodreads or whatever. That's my take anyway. But mm. who am I? Mm. Just a guy who hates his readers. <laughs> oh, can I tell my Twitter story? All right, please. Yes. Move on. please, please. So here's how I sum up Twitter to people is a few years ago, I was interested in joining this like author collective, this group of authors that all promoted each other. And one of the things that the woman in charge told me that she was like, okay, so we'll get your books and we'll promote your books. And then you have to tweet everybody else's books 10 times a day each. And I was like, you want me to tweet like 150 times a day with all these other books? was like, why would you tweet something so many times? And she said, well, Twitter is really quick. It's ephemeral. You know, you just turn your head and it's gone. And then my question was, well, if you turn your head and it's gone, why do it in the first place? Mm. And I, she didn't know the answer to that question. Mm. I take yeah. it. I found Twitter to be much, much more useful. Like anytime I see someone who's just retweeting other authors and like, oh, back away slowly. Definitely for, it's for shit posting. That's what you do on Twitter. <laughs> it's pretty much how I communicate with Southwest Airlines that their service is starting to suck a lot more than it used to suck. And it's a very great one-way conversation. They've told me that they've received my feedback. Other than that, I'm not really sure what Twitter's supposed to be for. Politicians, maybe? I think they're supposed to be tweeting and twatting and all that. It's for getting angry. That's what it's for. It's for getting angry. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'd probably fit in there. You know, yeah. I heard I heard a statistic about Twitter just this week, and it said that 10% or 12% of Twitter users post 90% of the tweets. Mm. I'm not surprised. I mean, that's a little off from normal Pareto principle, but not I usually. Mean, that's crazy if you think about it. So people think that there's a lot going on on Twitter, and there is, but you know, maybe it's just like I wonder if that statistic suspect. changed when they banned Donald Trump from Twitter. Moving on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> went up or we, down. we are apolitical here, <laughs> Mr. Thacker. We pretend that politicians don't even Donald exist. Trump is a human. It's not, it doesn't have to be politicized. I not, tweeted a lot. <laughs> not according to 50% of the country. He's not. That's true. That's fair. Uh, okay. That is fair. So there's some more interesting things there. You know, if you want to try Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, you know, good luck to you. Let us know if you have any <laughs> luck. To Pippa's point, nothing makes me feel more like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino than going to TikTok. You know what I mean? <laughs> like everybody off my lawn right now. You know? All right. So moving on to the next story, we have this is kind of just a weird little thing. So Agatha Christie's fans are plotting to turn her $3.8 million English home into a literary center. I guess there's a save Agatha's home campaign and they want to turn it into an arts and events venue so that's kind of interesting if anybody kind of wants to read about that we've got that click but my question for you guys is i don't mind admitting that i have no history with agatha christie i've never read one of her books i've never watched one of the movies or shows on her books none of the murder on the orient express nothing although <gasps> kenneth brana with the mustache almost talked me into it this time because it looked really interesting Am I missing out? Like, is Agatha Christie's house going to be an awesome place? Should I be paying attention to this? I don't know. I read my first Agatha Christie book like three or four years ago, mm -hmm. and it, it felt derivative because it invented all the genre, all the things, the tropes that have been ripped off for mm -hmm. 100 years. So the whole book mm -hmm. just felt derivative to me. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just kidding. It was good. I read Murder on the Orient Express. It was very good. Okay. Okay. So that one's worth uh, I've seen the movies of that, and I feel like I read a different one. Oh well if you know how it ends then don't read the book no okay no i just loved watching the original and having every person walk out of the room and the assistant being like 
they did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. I have no clue. Nick, you reading a lot of Agatha Christie in your life, man? Negative. <laughs> okay. Tear it down. Nick hates his readers, other authors, and I hate not only my readers, I hate your readers as well. I hate Agatha Christie's readers. No, I don't really hate a lot of people. I just, I mean, she was British, right? So she's British, and these people they're described as 10 plucky locals in this article, and I immediately bowed out. I was like, I just can't even. Nick hates plucky plucky people. If you're described as plucky, Nick is not a just. Look, she's got two other. She's got a. This is her private home, but she had another house in London and a holiday home called Greenway and Torquay. <laughs> okay, listen, go buy one of those. Like this one's what? How many? Forty-two million dollars? Four point two million dollars? Is Did this I, podcast available everywhere or just in America? We should. Mm, I should. It's exclusively streaming live to England. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta uh, play to your audience, man. No, man. I think it's great that they're trying to do it. It's kind of funny that just these ten plucky locals are trying to raise money. I don't think they have any money themselves. They're like, oh, we're just volunteers working for free, but give us $2 million. And it's like, well, I'm making a compelling case, plucky locals, but I don't know if it's going to work. Um, it is a little bit capitalistic buying homes right now. So probably not going to happen. We'll see. Nothing inside the house really looks Agatha Christie-ish either. It looks pretty updated and modern. So we'll see what happens. This is a side note. I'm enjoying the part of this news story where they – do not mention one of the stars of death on the Nile and take care not to put him in any of the screenshots because that's the actor who is may or may not be a cannibal. (laughs) And that's coming out next. Did none of you hear about this? Yeah. I feel like we should be talking about that news article instead. Yeah. Well, is this breaking? (laughs) Uh, This was a few months ago. One second. Uh, one second. Jim, do the news drop again, man. Yeah, he comes from like a career acting, sounds Whoa. like career. And yeah, see, yeah, Nick's got the, the correct oh, response here. The Army Hammer guy. Yeah, yeah, I saw his tweet. His tweets yep. are really weird, dude. Like, I love you and you're sexy and I want to eat you, but I don't think he means. Uh, apparently, he. <laughs> so weird. yeah so i love that they're like death on the nile starring gal gadot and <laughs> annette benning like, and then they've got the picture of her and him in the thing but like he's not facing the camera <laughs> that's so weird he's uh he was in social media wasn't he okay yeah, Army he Hammer. was he's not anymore <laughs> oh i guess not man i guess not that's really weird and he comes from money isn't he like armin hammer's grandson or something armand hammer like, isn't that the deal? Yeah, the whole family is sort of proving the coming from a rich family does not make you happy. Yeah, yeah. It's very bizarre. I forgot all about that. Thanks for yep. reminding me, Pippa. That makes my day a lot better. <laughs> Cannibalism. <That's it. laughs> yeah, I got a low threshold. You know, I get excited easily. Okay. So for our last story today to wrap up, just a little quick one. This is from uh, the bookseller. And it says, uh, the Wizarding World launches free Harry Potter hub for school summer holidays. And uh, what I thought was really interesting was the fact that, you know, there's kids, if they like Harry Potter, you know, like my kids are still gaga about it. You know, there's chapter challenges and quizzes and craft activities, weekly themes, all that kind of stuff. And it says uh, 
Additionally, the first Harry Potter audiobook is available to stream free on Alexa from Audible beginning on the 23rd of June throughout July by saying, Alexa, read Harry Potter book one. And I hope I just turned everybody's Alexa on that's listening to this. Alexa, read Harry Potter book one. So that's pretty cool, huh? You guys going to get down with the Wizarding World hub for the summer? Kiddos three and a half. That's think I'm going to be able to... <laughs> get him involved although it'd be nice to teach him a phrase for uh well it's the google home in our case but he uh learned surprisingly quickly how to say hey google play baby shark and <laughs> great how nice for you actually Pepper. it doesn't work yet because he still calls it moog ah, so technicalities because he has a little post moogle from final fantasy mm-hmm. like moogle plushie so he still thinks that google is moogle so it doesn't work yet but someday it's gonna work and i really need to run some interference before then very true okay your kids are a little older uh jim and nick you guys gonna uh sign them up and let them play the wizarding challenges my son is six so he's a little yeah we haven't read the first book yet but i mean if you can get the first audiobook for free the one read by jim dale is very good he's an Mm. excellent narrator my daughters are American, so I don't know that we'll read them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're six and five, so same thing as Jim. We haven't really... This is actually intriguing, though. I might try this out because the girls do like to play with Awexa. They love to talk to her and ask her how old she is and, and all that. So, yeah, well, I'll, I might check it out and see if they can stay awake long enough to listen to a chapter of an audiobook at night. Yeah, that'll be good, man. Always find ways to help you parent, man. I'm firmly in that camp. Well, all right, guys, I think we'll uh, wrap this thing up for today. You guys got anything to add about any of our stories? Mulligans, alibis? No? All right, right on. Well, we have recently launched our new Author News Weekly Facebook page. We're going to be adding some content to that. So if you're listening, you got anything you want to add to the conversation, I'll be posting some of these stories up and feel free to join us, like it, comment, and we'll get back to you. We all kind of hang out there once in a while. But if you have things you want to add, we'll be glad to chat you up. I mean, Nick won't be glad to chat you up, but he'll do it still because he's a good guy. So I'll pass you along to Jim. I'm our customer support representative. Yep. <laughs> He'll be glad to take your Happy to help. Um, questions and complaints. Happy to help. Happy um, to have help. trouble turning your computer on, maybe connecting your internet, you know, whatever the case may be. Definitely contact your closest author. That's exactly what they're there for. <laughs> <laughs> that is the voice of weary experience. All right, everyone. For all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm R.A. McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>